Welcome back to another episode of the King's Bulls podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brandon Nunez, and today we are joined by Tim Maxwell, Sacktown Baby Giraffe of the King's Herald as well. What's going on, Tim? How you doing, man? I am bored in the offseason doldrums. How are you? I am uh, pretty much about the same. I'm finding ways to use up my time, I guess. Today I was watching the Mon- uh, Monty Teo. I think I'm saying his first name wrong. Uh, untold like documentary about the whole situation with his uh, catfishing. And I guess they're, that same series, which I think is really well done, is going to come out with something on uh, Tim Donahue as well. So that should be interesting. I just saw that today. But you've been watching I'm anything? Down. Or? I'm down for that. Uh, Severance. Um, I'm into it, I guess. And then uh, we got Game of Thrones on Sunday. Are you a Game of Thrones person? I never have been. I've watched the first episode like three or four times because I keep okay. thinking like I should get into it, you know? Um, and then it just doesn't end up happening. Fair enough. Well, then I'll watch it for you. What is happening on Sunday? I thought it was over. No. So this is a prequel. So it's a gotcha. prequel series to Game of Thrones. And I actually saw someone the other day. They're like, I'm going to watch all of Game of Thrones to prep for the new one. And I was like, well, it's a prequel. So that's not going to do you any good because it's right. before everything. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't remember how far back it is. I'm not that much of a Game of Thrones nerd, but I'm excited for it. It's got some dragons in there. There you go. Yeah, well, I might eventually end up getting around to checking it out. But in the meantime, today, um, I haven't touched on on King's Pulse here on all too much of the end of roster moves that we've seen the training camp people that uh, Sacramento are bringing in. So I think the plan is to kind of touch on that a little bit today with you, Tim. And I think you've had a little bit of some strong takes. I don't know how much they've changed in time about uh, the backup point guards, but I think uh, we could just start with like, what's your initial reaction to, or no, let's do this. What do you think the Kings should look for and value in a third string point guard? Like what type of player are you hoping for in that role? So with a third string point guard, I think you're, I think you're looking for one skill set, whatever that skill set is important to you, because with any third string NBA player, they're not going to like pass rebound, you know, not turn the ball over play defense. So like, the two guys the Kings have brought in are Quinn Cook and Della Vadova, and they're very two very opposite players. You know, one's pure offense. Quinn Cook's more of a combo guard. He's going to slash and shoot. And then Della Vadova is, I guess, a passer and theoretically a defender. Uh, we'll get into that. Um, so, yeah, I think you just look for a skill set. And then whatever skill set you identify you need, whatever's most important, um, that's the one you go after. So I think... You know, I, I've had the opinion that there were better guys out there than the two folks that the Kings have brought into the camp. But it's also hard to have like a super strong opinion about these things. You know, I think me three years ago would have like railed on like, why isn't Alfred Payton on the team? He's an actual NBA player or DJ Augustine or whoever. Um, I've got enough things to get upset about with the Kings. I'm not going to super stress about their backup point guard or third string. Mostly, honestly, it's Bryant. If Bryant wasn't so passionate pro Della Vadova, I wouldn't feel the need to be so anti Della Vadova. Uh, but yeah, to answer the question, you just need, you need to figure out what one or maybe one and a half skill sets you need, whatever that is, whoever has that and is available and will take the contract. That's who you sign. Yeah. And I think like finding one high level skill it, at, at this point in free agency and when you're talking about like a third stringer is is important uh but also can be a little bit difficult and like you said like i don't think a third string point guard is anything to like get mad about or anything but it's also just like the nature of this time of year this is the type of stuff that we're going to be touching on and anyone unaware uh bryant went to 
uh, St. Mary's with Matthew Della Vadova, which I'm sure people are aware. He's not exactly quiet about it. Um, so obviously excited about the signing. I originally asked him when they signed Delhi if he would come on the pod, and he said that uh, he, he'd probably be a little bit too emotional and all over the place because he just can't control himself with Delhi. So I thought that was funny. But I went through. Um, I saw you and Greg having a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter about third string point guards a little while ago when this signing originally happened. It was like, you know, I think other teams have better third string point guards. So I kind of went through and tried to look at who everybody's third string point guard is, but sometimes it's difficult. Like going alphabetical on my list, like Atlanta, you talk about Trey, but then DeJounte Murray is like, I guess your backup point guard, making Aaron Holiday a third string point guard. Um, like Boston, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, I guess are your two point guards, leaving Peyton Pritchard as your third. Like positionally, it just gets a little bit tricky, but I'll, I'll kind of go down. I'm just going to go through these names that I have on here just for the sake of kind of how they stack up next to Della Vidova and uh, Quinn Cook. So Atlanta, I have Aaron Holiday. Boston, I have Peyton Pritchard. Brooklyn, Cam Thomas, I guess. Uh, Charlotte doesn't currently have one, even though they have a ridiculous amount of guards. Chicago has Goran Dragic. Um, Cleveland has Hual Neto. Dallas is working with Frank Nielakina. Denver has Ish Smith. Corey Joseph, old friend in Detroit. Uh, the Warriors, I don't believe, currently have. I don't, I don't know if Kevin wants me to shout out Mac McClung here. I guess that that's the spot to do it. Um, Houston, Dacian Nix. Indiana has Andrew Nemhard, who they just drafted in the second round. Uh, the Clippers have Terrence Mann. Austin Rivers with the Lakers. Uh, Javon Carter in Milwaukee. The Pelicans have Jose Alvarado. Or if you want to say Kyra Lewis Jr., Emmanuel Quickly or Derek Rose on the Knicks, Trey Mann, Ty Jerome on OKC, Cole Anthony in Orlando, Shake Milton in Philadelphia, Malachi Branham, San Antonio, Toronto has Delano Brown, uh, Utah has Jared Butler, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Washington has Johnny Davis. Um, so kind of long with it, and I know I'm just throwing a lot of names out there, but there's like weirdly, and again, it's complicated because of the positional variance. It's like kind of hard to exactly pin down who the point guards and try to string one string two, string three. So black and white, but kind of when I'm going through those names, uh, do you think that Quinn cook, Matthew Delvadova kind of fit into that or the low end? I would say um, there's clearly guys on the list that are better, right? Pritchard ish Smith, you know, there, there's a, a gamut of guys that are better. And like you said, you know, like with Atlanta bogey would probably be their third stringer if someone got hurt, but then you're getting into the shooting guard debate and it's like, well, at some point you, you know, you, you lose the thread. Um, yeah. The lower end, like I, I can't, I can't sit here and say like, Oh, Quinn cook can't be an, a third string NBA point guard or Matthew Della Vadova can't be a third string NBA point guard. It's more along the lines of like, it was this the best we could do. And I think that's the question you have to ask yourself. And maybe they went to, and Alfred Payton's just my example. He was in the NBA last year. He averaged like, like 10 points a game. Like he wasn't good, but he was an NBA player last year. And I think, just the very slight concern I have with these two guys is they haven't played in the league in three years. Um, and you read off some of those names and it's like NBA teams wanted these guys more than Quinn cook and Matthew Della Vadova. So that's the concern I have is like where, where I guess there were veteran guys out there that I think most NBA teams would rank higher. And then there's younger guys out there. You mentioned second rounders or some, you know, 23, 24 year olds that maybe have some potential. And the Kings kind of went with the older guy that nobody else wanted. And again, maybe they saw something in workouts. I can't, again, I can't sit here and say, Oh, there's no way these guys can do it. Or that, you know, Monty McNair made a huge mistake. You can't really make a huge mistake with your third string point guard. It's your third string point guard. But 
I would put them at the lower end tier. I don't think most NBA teams, whoever, whatever third string point guard you listed, I don't think most of them would be like, yeah, let's trade our third stringer for Quentin Cook or let's straight trade our third stringer for Matthew Dellavedova. Do you feel kind of the same way? Yeah, definitely. And I think kind of going through it, I think the thing that I realized the most, because like, I'm fine with these guys playing here and there, I think, and I'll ask you about this in a, in a second, but like, I, I think that Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, DeMontis Sabonis can like run an offense if Fox or, or Davion are, are down and unavailable that like, I, I think that even if one of those guys are unavailable, which in my mind is like what opens up an opportunity for a third string point guard, I don't think they're typically in the rotation. I think even in that scenario of injury, you look towards some of these other guards before you kind of go to Delavid over a cook. So like, I'm fine with them. I do think, like you said, they're on the lower part of this, but I think one of my main realizations um, was that like, they could just have a young upcoming guy here. Like, I think it came back to Jaden Hardy for me. It, it was like they traded away, which, you know, I, I don't think it's notable. Like the Intel on Hardy as a person was I, I think maybe part of the reason why he potentially fell. I think there were some concerns there. And I think it is notable that it feels like most of the people Sacramento have brought in are decent people. And like culture is a very big thing right now. Um, so maybe there's an aspect of that. But I think that like I would have really preferred the third string point guard to be a young project player rather than like a vet. Did you have any strong preferences kind of between the two? I would have preferred that as well. Um and I remember when the Kings first started signing these end of the bench guys, everyone was like, oh, that's why they traded you know, away the second rounders because they didn't have roster spots. But it's like, well, you trade around a potentially like pretty good second rounder f- to have a roster spot for Casey Arpola or even Chemezi right. Metu or Trey Lyles, who I think are NBA-ish players. But yeah, I, I don't I don't really understand the the thought behind that. I, I think the King, I mean, I think it comes down to this. The Kings desperately want to make the playoffs. And Quinn Cook and Matthew Delivadova have a slightly higher chance in in any emergency, you know, position that they're put in than a mid to late second rounder, I guess, is probably where the Kings fell on this is, hey, if Fox goes down or if Mitchell goes down or if there's a trade, right? Like, that's another possibility. I don't think Fox is getting traded, but like maybe the Kings make a move for a star player and Mitchell's in the package. Hey, we need we need someone who we know can play a few minutes a game here and there. So I think that's probably the motivation, but it's not my preference uh, for sure. Definitely, definitely with you. Um, let's go through Delhi and Cook a little bit. And I guess we'll start with uh, Quinn Cook and kind of where he's been playing recently. He's 29 right now. Last year, he played seven games for the Cavs and seven games for the Lakers. Uh, spent a decent amount of time in Stockton. He played 11 games there um, and shot 44% from three on 6.8 three-point attempts per game. There's 5.9 assists in there as well. Um, personally, when I think of Quinn Cook, uh, I mean, he's definitely a third-string point guard, but like, if you're talking about what is that one skill, it's just shooting. Like, I, I think that he can do it off the, he could do it off the bounce coming off a screen, but I don't think he's good enough pass or you're getting him picking roll reps or anything like that. But I think he can kind of shoot off movement and, and work well off ball. Like, I, I kind of like the idea of him being the break of emergency guy compared to Delhi for the sake of if one of your primary initiators goes down, like, I don't want to give the ball to Delhi or Cook. I want, like I said, more touches for Herder, for Monk, for Sabonis, for any of those. And I feel like Cook, spacing and shooting is something that could work out well in that. But 
Um, are you with me that kind of thing in Quint Cook, his his skill is just shooting? Yeah, 100%. He's, he's really a combo guard. He's been put into a point guard position most of his career. But yeah, his assist percentage is 16% for his career. So he's not going out there and like, you know, like you said, like running the offense well. He's just going to shoot and score. But I mean, his his and these are all this is all relatively low volume because he doesn't play a lot. Uh, but his career three point percentage is going down the line is 40 per year, 42%, 44%, 41%, 37%, 42%. So the, the guy can shoot the ball. Like there's no question he can shoot. Um, can he do anything else? Um, no, he, I, I looked up some stats for him. Um, and this is all from 2019, 2020, just the last time he actually like played legit minutes in the NBA. His defense is horrific. His passing is, you know, not good. Um, He's he's fine in turnovers, but that's because he just doesn't he doesn't pass a lot. He just shoots the ball. So I I do agree with you that if the Kings choose Quinn Cook, it is going to be kind of a a five man point guard rotation. Whoever has you know what I mean, they're just going to move the ball around, and then Cook can knock down the three pointer. Um, he would also maybe pair a little bit better with Davion Mitchell if they're going to run two point guards at once because he can space the floor while Davion defends. Um, if you're running Delhi and Davion, obviously your defense is theoretically going to be good, but your offense, your shooting is going to be non-existent unless Davion comes back and, and really starts knocking down some shots like we didn't see last year. Right. Are, are you with me in thinking that when one of these third string guys is like forced to be out there that in that scenario, the ball shouldn't be running through them. Like, are you comfortable with uh, more reps for Herder, Monk or Sabonis and some of those other guys? Yeah, I think you're gonna have to. I don't know if I'm comfortable with it. Um, it let, let's say Fox goes down, right? Like I think that's like the fear everyone has is Fox goes down for eleven games, right? He has a minor ankle injury, whatever it is. Um, Davion's gonna have to play thirty-eight, forty minutes a game, and then those other eight minutes are just gonna be committee point guard. I think I would. I trust Delhi more as a point guard, point guard than I do Cook. He's got a much higher assist percentage throughout his career. He also has a much higher turnover percentage. He's like one of the worst turnover prone guards like in the league when he's in there. So yeah, but I, I think that's what you have to do. You have to hope Monk has some has some comfortability with that. Maybe Herder. Like you said, Sabonis is obviously an elite passer for a center and really an elite passer for the league. Um and then your wings aren't really good passers. You know, Barnes isn't really a prolific passer. Keegan Murray hasn't shown much of that either. So that that could be another area of weakness. But yeah, I, Honestly, if Fox goes down for any extended period of time, the Kings are are toast. So the third string battle at that point maybe isn't going to be the concern anyway. Right. No, totally fair enough. Um, yeah, I think these guys just it's breaking case of emergency type stuff. And hopefully you don't run into those emergencies um, on Matthew Delvadova, six, uh, three, a little bit more size than Quinn Cook and, and can kind of hold his own on defense. You know, he's like touted as a very good defender. I don't know that I still view him that way uh he's 31 he's 20 days away from being 32 and last year played in the nbl he played for melbourne um and shot 34 percent from three during his time there on 4.3 three-point attempts actually i was kind of surprised going back and looking through that matthew elevadova was a better three-point shooter than i remembered throughout his career and I, I think he's very respectable off the catch and he's definitely confident um i don't know that he's a good enough shooter that defenses are going to care about him like I think that Davion was in looks like an okay shooter, uh, but we saw last year, and maybe this is just a case of him being a rookie, uh, but 
opposing defenses didn't care. So sure, you can hit a shot here and there, but you have no sort of gravity and the spacing on the floor still struggles. And in my mind, I think that Delhi kind of falls into that. And I'm a little unsure on his defense. Um, do you think I'm underselling Della Vidova or where are you kind of at with him? I am wildly unsure of his defense. I, I don't believe in it, to be honest with you, because his last couple of seasons in the league, and this was like he had an injury, and I don't remember exactly when it happened. I, it's not like I'm not Bryant. I don't have his autobiography or his biography memorized or anything. I'm not writing his Wikipedia page. But Delhi had the injury and his defense just disappeared. He was he was he turned into that guy at LA Fitness or the Y or whatever that just like thrusts his chest into you and spreads his arms like eagle and then just like bumps into you the whole time and he's like annoying but not effective. I feel like that was kind of his defense over the last season or two in the NBA and that's that's why he wasn't signed. You know, like I remember his free agency year Everyone was like, oh, is Delhi going to go anywhere? And then everyone was kind of like, no, he's not going to go anywhere. And, you know, again, this is 2019-2020 stats. Um, 43rd percentile in overall defensive field goal percentage. So, like, average 17th percentile in three-point defense. Uh, 60th percentile at the rim. So, like, above average, you know, if a guard took him to the rim or whatever. Um, But he had the ninth, ninth highest foul rate among all guards in the NBA. So... I, I think it was effort. I think he's, I think he works hard and I, I think you have to credit him for that. You know, if he gets on the floor, he's going to be like a, an older, more broken down version of Davion Mitchell, where he's just going to make guys work and he's going to work hard. And and maybe that's what the Kings need from a veteran presence, you know, in practice, maybe they want that guy. That's just going to be a dog out there. You know, the Kings have talked about needing guys with a dog mentality. So I think I give Delavidova credit for his effort and his, his, uh, his influence on the court, I guess. I just don't know if the results are there anymore. And you see this with older defenders, right? Like they start to lose a step, they lose a half step, and then they're harassing guys, but they're not making the impact they needed to previously. And if 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 the shooting isn't there, which I also don't trust the shooting at all. I mean, I think he's okay. I think he's okay. Like, I don't think he's a bat. He's not uh, a terrible shooter, but he's not a good shooter. He's not a good offensive player. Um yeah, I, if the defense isn't there, I'm not sure what is there aside from maybe some passing. Yeah, um, the end of those, I went back and watched his recent a uh, couple NBL games and then kind of the playoff series that they play, and they're pulling him off the floor at the end of the game. Like, I, I know the Kings shouldn't be expecting him to be closing games or anything, but like, I would think a guy coming to the NBA from the NBL should, and the in as a more veteran player should be closing games. And it's not like they pulled him off every single time or anything, but I think just seeing that here and there kind of says where he's at at this point in his career for that to be happening in the NBL, which is a pretty damn good league for what it's worth. Um, Is there intangibles with this, with these guys that matter? Like I think that Delhi's the more obvious one, right? Having the experience, you mentioned him kind of being like an older, more broken down Davion Mitchell at this point in his career. I, I think that's pretty accurate. And like in my mind, there could be keyword could, be a lot of things that Delhi could share and, and kind of help Davion with in excelling at the NBA with that sort of skill set. Um, but I think from Quinn Cook's point of view, you know, there's a lot of players that really get along with him. Him and uh, I believe Davion have a decent relationship and, and some of the other players on the staff as well. And we saw the effect last year of not having, I think, like this camaraderie to the team. So, to you, is there value that either of those guys or, or maybe both kind of bring intangibly and do either one stand out to you? 
Yeah, maybe th- maybe that's your differentiating factor, right? You got Quinn Cook, I can shoot and do nothing else. Delavadova, I can probably play defense and maybe pass little and do really nothing else well. So that's probably what it comes down to, and I think that's a fair point. Um, my fear for the Kings is they always have a veteran, a broken down veteran that's supposed to like whip the guys into shape, and it just doesn't happen. Um, I I feel like Mike Brown would probably favor Delhi. I, I don't know anything for sure, but Mike Brown's a defensive minded coach. If he wants to get Delhi after someone in practice or even in a game, right? If Fox is dogging it on defense, which we've seen plenty of times, if I could see Mike Brown subbing out Fox for Delhi and just being like, go sit down for a few minutes and figure it out. So yeah, I, I think those are, those are definitely um, deciding factors for these guys. The good news is, we don't dislike either of these guys. You know, it's it's sometimes the Kings sign a guy or like bring a guy into camp and you're like, really? Like we had to do that guy? Like Hassan Whiteside? Are we serious? Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> do you think Hassan Whiteside's gonna fix this culture? And there's been other examples of that in the past. So the good news is, although I don't necessarily believe in either of these guys as like an NBA rotational player, I don't think anyone does. I don't dislike either one from like a personal culture uh character standpoint. So and I think they've both won a championship, right? I know Quinn Cook has. Has Delhi been on a championship team? He has, right? Uh, with, yeah, yeah. With Delhi LeBron, right? The Cavs. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't really put any stock into that. To be honest, I hate the championship pedigree talk. It's like, okay, the dude yeah. played two hundred minutes while they won the championship. Big deal. Um, yeah. Do you think one's going to be favored by Mike Brown? I mean, I agree with what you said. Like, just reading between the lines like it feels like Delhi is a Mike Brown guy right but I don't believe that Delhi played under Mike Brown in Cleveland um Quinn Cook did play under Mike Brown in Golden State so maybe it leans the other way um so I don't really know I, I would think Delhi, and I would think that there's more that he can bring off the floor um also like floated around the idea of like Quinn cook being on the roster and then Delhi moving into a coaching staff role. Like, could that be a possibility? Maybe. Um, so I would guess Delhi between the two, but it's really just a guess because you know, it's a defensive and more, I think he fits the culture. And you mentioned like having a veteran that maybe isn't uh, contributing all too much on the floor but is supposed to like come in and help change the culture has been like a, a trend in years prior with this Kings team. And I think that how you mentioned Mike Brown is like the key difference to me is that Delhi's not the guy to come in and change it. I think he's just like part of it. Right. I, I in my mind, Mike Brown is the one that's kind of orchestrating the cultural change and kind of like the leader of that movement, I guess. So just getting people that kind of fall in line and, and help, echo his statements and, and try to make that a little bit more infectious. I, I think that Delhi could kind of fall into that. Um, and I guess I'm going to make you pick between one or two here, Tim, um, at the end of training camp, which we still have time until then, if there's any changes or anything. But as of now, do you have a preference between Quinn Cook and Matthew Delvedova? NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. 
Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming only on Hulu. So I'm going to share my personal preference, then I'll share my preference for the team. My personal preference would be Quinn Cook by a mildly wide margin. But my personal preference for the team is whoever the hell Mike Brown wants to keep. You know, like that's if Mike Brown, you know, if Mike Brown's like, I want Delhi for his character and good sign him like good. If Mike Brown's like, hey, I think we need a shooter as the as the third stringer because neither Fox nor Mitchell has proven they can shoot in the league. Good sign him. Do it. Um, Too often the Kings go away from just what's going to be best for the roster and they make other weird decisions for other weird reasons. So that's who that's who I'm going with. I I personally prefer Quinn Cook, but whoever the hell Mike Brown wants, get him that. Um do you think we're putting too much faith in Mike Brown? Like to just change everything? Is it just optimism? And I'm I'm in the same boat. Yeah. We weren't ex- optimism. Like we have to, right? We, what other we, choice do Kings fans have? Like Yeah, we weren't excited about him. Like no one was excited about Mike Brown during the hiring process. Everyone was like, Mike Brown? Are you serious? My, myself too. Like I'm throwing myself under the bus here. And then we hire him and we're like, oh well, Mike Mike Brown's probably gonna solve everything. And th- again, that's kind of how you have to feel as a fan, because we're all fans. I'm a little scared of that because we we've had multiple coaches come in and we were like, maybe this is the dude. This is the dude, Dave Yeager. Dave Yeager was a tough-minded, theoretically sort of defensive type guy, and he got run out of town. Yeah. And Luke Walton came in and was a bum, so I don't care about Luke Walton. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Ty Corbin was supposed to be – or not Ty Corbin, um, Alvin Gentry. Jeez. Uh, too, too many replacement coaches over the years. Alvin Gentry was supposed to be like a player's coach. You know what I mean? He was supposed to connect and like – no, didn't happen. So – I know I'm derailing a little bit, but that's just like a fear I have is expectations for Mike Brown right now are sky. Like every time if I tweet out a Kings defensive stat, 90% of the replies are we we have Mike Brown now. And it's like, that's true. And I hope to God, Mike Brown fixes the Kings defense. I hope next year we don't see Deer and Fox and Harrison Barnes as the two worst pick and roll defenders in the NBA. Like that would be, if they could get average, like super dope. But I'm just I'm a little concerned at where our expectations were for Mike Brown during the hiring process, and then where they are now has escalated dramatically for most people. Now there were people out there yeah. who wanted Mike Brown from the start, and they're like, "This is you know veteran, defensive minded, Warriors champion, you know all these different things." Hey, you know kudos to them. But I think I'm again I'm throwing myself under the bus here. Of I was very unexcited. I was very down on Mike Brown as a hire. And now myself too, like I look up a defensive stat, I'm like, oh, the Kings were terrible at in this defensive metric too last year. And all the players were except Davion Mitchell, which is the trend. And then I tell myself, oh, well, Mike Brown's here. So how do you feel like we're, we're putting like Mike Brown in kind of this little bit of a savior role? I think so. I, I definitely see what you're talking about. Um, 
It's an interesting question. Like, I think I also was not somebody that was excited about Mike Brown. I think like when the initial list came out, um, he was one of the guys that I wasn't all too educated on actually. Uh, just being a little bit younger, I guess. Like I don't remember greatly Mike Brown's time with Cleveland or anything like that. Um, so I got myself ex- like the first guys I really did a lot of research on are um, Charles Lee, Darvin Ham, and Will Hardy. Thank you, um, yep. Will Hardy. And I admittedly liked all of those guys better than than Mike Brown. And as I kind of dove into Mike Brown's resume, and it, it's hard to not feel good about him. And the weird thing is that, like, I think even Walton, like Walton had question marks coming in, right? I, I think that Gentry obviously had question marks when when he became the replacement. Like, the weird thing for me with Mike Brown is that, like, I feel like everybody believes. And I don't know what it, – it's that's just so weird – to me, it's a weird situation specifically for the Sacramento franchise to be in, like to hear national reporters really praising the hire and not even one person on a desk being like, yeah, well, to be real, he, he wasn't all that successful in years prior. He doesn't, hasn't done anything out without LeBron, blah, blah, blah. Like we're not even hearing the other side, which is crazy to me. So like, I am excited. I, I think that there's got to be a reason that he's so well liked and highly thought of around the league. Um, I think that my expectations for this team being a lot different next year go a lot further than Mike Brown, though. Um, I I think at least just speaking for myself is that it's Mike Brown changing a culture, sure, but it's also a full season of DeMontis Sabonis. It's not having this cloud of Luke Walton returning last year when we all knew that was a ticking time bomb, to be honest. Like, same with Buddy and Bagley. Like, I think that they also are starting from such a low point that it shouldn't be that much more that difficult to make progress from there when they were already underperforming last year. So I think Mike Brown in combination with Sabonis in combination with Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, Malik Monk, um, and some of those other aspects that I mentioned before no longer being around make me optimistic for a team that will play together and kind of for each other. You know, a lot of what we heard last year was that like communication was the issue on defense, but I I think that's something that's easy to point at rather than coaches sitting up there and saying, yeah, my guys suck ass at keeping people in front of them. Like I think communication can kind of just be an easy cop out sometimes. And it was definitely more than that, but I do think it's an important aspect of defense. But I think that my optimism with the Kings goes far beyond Mike Brown. And I, I think that like expecting a lot of defensive growth that that just scares me. Yeah, I think those are all fair points. The Kings will be better next year. They will be significantly better than and if they're not I might be done. I don't know if I can do another <laughs> like if I if they win 33 games next year uh yeah. That might that might be it for the Kings Herald to be honest or at least this ver- this this segment of it which maybe everyone would would be okay. Maybe there are plenty of people out there who'd be like one thirty one more 33 win season to get Tim out of here is 100% worth it, but I don't I, I don't think for what it's worth that like I, I think that there are a lot of other people in the fan base who would feel similar. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I don't think it's unique. and we've we've already lost fans. Like, you know, being a part of the Kings Herald and, and our former site, you know, there were people that came over with us from STR as, as dedicated commenters and readers and they're gone and they they'll post, Hey, I'm, I'm just done. And that's sad. But anyway, um, 
the Kings should be much. I have them between 39 and 41 wins next year, which is a significant jump. Like nine to 11 wins is in any context, really a a significant improvement. And I I think you make a fair point that there's multiple factors into that. Um, Defensively. I, I don't trust this team at all. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think Mike Brown can fix some of these guys. I just don't, I, if you don't play de- defense for a half decade and then you're just going to flip the switch, I don't think that happens. And maybe it does. And I'm proven wrong. And, and that's, I'm always happy to be wrong. If it's something negative about the Kings. Um, so yeah, I think they will be better. I just, the, I don't think they will be an average defensive team. I don't think they have the personnel. I don't think they will be, I don't think they will be 18th. I think we're looking at 22nd to 25th unless they make some trades. You've got a power forward starting at small forward. You have, a bad defensive point guard. You have a center that can't rim protect and is a historically ineffective rim protector. Keegan Murray's probably going to, if he starts at power forward, that's just another question mark. And then you have Kevin Herter, who's just like, all right, guys, let's just uh, <laughs> hold down the fort here. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, anyway, all that to say, I agree with you that the Kings are going to be much better. I don't think it's going to come on the defensive end. I think it's going to be on the chemistry end, on the offensive end, on the rebounding end, DeMontis Sabonis, legitimately single-handedly solved Sacramento's rebounding problems, which is just ins- They were like 28th before he got traded. And then they were in the top five. Like he just single-handedly was like, all right, I'll just do this for everyone. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think they will be much better, but I, I don't, I don't subscribe to the fact that their defense is going to be even average next year because I don't believe in the personnel. For sure. The personnel is, is tough. It's hard to look at that roster and think that you're dealing with a, yeah, I mean, even average defense, like you said, like I think 18 is a super high expect. That's like the ceiling in my mind. And I don't even know that. Yeah. Like an unrealistic ceiling, to be honest, like I think it's been eight or nine years that the NBA tracking had defensive ratings and the Kings haven't been outside of the bottom 10, but once and it was that Jaeger year. And I think they sat at 20th. Yeah. It was 20th or 19th, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So and so it's, it, it's a lot it, of the same personnel. Exactly. Exactly. Trade Harrison, and trade Harrison Barnes for a real wing and, and we can talk. That's you're a big mean. Keegan guy, right? I love Keegan. Keegan has to start day one, right? If I, him not starting yes, day I one agree. will be 32 win ask for me. I will lose my freaking mind. I really will. I will lose my mind. I, he, he put up 29 in, in summer league. He's, he was, an, an amazing sophomore player, literally every skill he showed as a college sophomore, he just did in summer league against real NBA talent and wrecked literally everyone. And you're, if you, if you start Trey Lyles, if Mike Brown starts Trey God. Lyles uh, or Chemezi Metu, I, I will flip out. And I know I flip out all the time over everything. So it's not that effective for me to flip out anymore, but <laughs> what if it was like Rashawn Holmes? don't that's worse that's the bryant (laughs) bryant has two ideas this year and it is sign matthew delavadova and start rashawn holmes and those are the two worst ideas i've ever heard in my goddamn life like give me dwayne start dwayne deadman he can at least face the floor and he's a superstar um (laughs) i the only the only the only the only thing I can sort of squint and see not starting Keegan Murray is if you're starting Kevin Herter at the three and Harrison Barnes at the four and you're probably running Monk at the two 
Right. Fox at the one and Davis as your backup two. If you're going to roll that way and like put all of your, I wouldn't even say your best talent, but your best fitting talent on the floor at once, I'm still going to hate it, but at least I'll understand it. But if, if any power forward starts over like legit power forward starts over Keegan Murray, I will, I will lose my mind because that's not how you treat your, it's not how you treat people. That's not. And like, what's going to set Keegan Murray up for the best success playing with the best players. And Keegan Murray is a guy who can play. We, we saw it in summer league. We saw it in college. Like if you watched him at all, he just plays within the offense. He puts up 20 points a game within the offense. You know, I, I, everyone talks about like in summer league. And even if you watch his game tape, you're like, Oh, he's kind of having a quiet game. It's two minutes left in the second quarter. Oh, he has 12 points and seven rebounds. Like the dude doesn't dominate the ball. And it's exactly what the Kings needed. That's why they drafted Keegan Murray because De'Aaron Fox needs the ball. DeMontis Savonis needs the ball. To a certain extent, Harrison Barnes needs the ball. To a certain extent, Kevin Herter needs the ball. Keegan Murray doesn't need the ball. He just knocks down shots and scores when he gets the ball. So I'm wearing my Hail Murray shirt. So you you should know I'm a Keegan Murray fan. (laughs) Yes. I could see the fire in your eyes when you, when you start talking about him. It's great. Blue fire. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think that you have an extremely good point specifically like with just him playing within the flow of the offense. It's really rare to me to be able to say that the Kings lottery pick I think is in a position to help them succeed. And I think that's exactly the case with Murray. If he's just playing off of Fox and Sabonis, like I think people would point at Bagley and it's like, well, Bagley was the number two pick and he didn't start. And it's like, sure. Bagley kind of, I think the idea of Bagley was that you somewhat need to be featuring him. Um, so instead we're going to go with Bielitsa who can just play within the flow of the offense while Buddy and um, De'Aaron go crazy. And then in the second unit, we can feature Bagley. And I just don't think like you want to be featuring Keegan early in his career. Like maybe you can give him opportunities here and there and mismatches and switches and maybe playing with his post-up game a little bit when he has a size advantage and things like that. But like, I think that the Kings are in a rare position where their high lottery pick is even more likely to succeed and, and kind of, I think move forward in their career because they were drafted to the situation that the Kings are in. If he doesn't start, like I just wouldn't, I don't know. I I would talk myself into things like a seniority thing. If it was Rashawn Holmes and, and just pray that I'm wrong because I hate the idea just as much as you do, Tim, I am a, very much against it. I am hungry for for spacing for sure around Fox and Sabonis specifically, and paying playing another guy that can't shoot. I think is kind of what I'm tired of watching. That I feel like it happened all of last year. Chemezi Metu, Marvin Bagley. I think Davion Mitchell fell into that, um, and, and I just don't think there were D Jones was out there a little bit here and there. Like I, I just don't think that we've seen much. Like sure, I'll talk myself into it um, and hope that I'm wrong, but. To me, it just makes no sense to not be starting uh, Keegan. Yeah, I mean, Trey, Trey Lyles came in last year, and Trey Lyles isn't good. Like, he's not terrible, but he's he's a he's a backup power forward at best. And he came in and spaced the floor a little bit for the Kings, and we wanted to give him max contract. You know what I mean? Like, we were just like, oh, my gosh, Trey Lyles, thank you. Like, you hit a three-pointer. And it's like, well, Keegan Murray's like 30 times better than Trey Lyles right now. Like, he's better and yeah. fits better and – yeah, you Trey know, Lyles I just got a two-year, five million dollar contract two years ago. From right, Pistons, by the way. Right. If you want to think about how his value, right, exactly. And they overpaid Marvin Bagley, but we don't have to get into that because I've already pissed <laughs> off the city of Detroit enough times, and all my in-laws are from Detroit. My wife's from Detroit, so this is this is not going to nice. work in the personal area. Well, actually, <laughs> they're not really they're hockey fans because it's Michigan, and anyway, it's terrible. But um, 
Keegan, I, I think to your point, I would treat Keegan Murray on offense like the train, like the Kings treat Harrison Barnes on offense right now, right? Space the floor, occasional post up, occasional mismatch, and put up 16 points a game, like on 40% from deep. That's something Keegan can probably do next year. Um, it makes it awkward because Harrison Barnes is right there. So now you have two Harrison Barneses playing next to each other. Neither of them can guard small forwards. That's a, <laughs> maybe a conversation for another day. But yeah, I, I'd, I know the goal is the playoffs. I think Keegan Murray is going to be a top five player for the Kings next year. So if you, if your argument is start your best players, fine, start Keegan Murray. If your argument is, you know, prop up your rookie. Okay, cool. Start Keegan Murray. <laughs> like I just, I can't, I can't get there. If the Kings had another guy that was like, I don't even know who to say, you know, just a good wing that they were like, Hey, we're going to bring Keegan off the bench to substitute for Barnes. Cause we got this wing in here. That's going to put up 18 and four games more. Obviously. It's Same Kent era. Bazemore, Terrence Davis, Kevin Herter, I guess is maybe he's, I guess he's kind of a wing, but yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't, there's no one there that should replace Keegan Murray. And that's what it should be. There should be someone, if you're going to replace him in the starting lineup, it better damn well be someone who's obviously better. And I don't think there's anyone close to that on the Kings. I'm with you. And before I circle us back to end of rotation is Herter the, am I right in thinking your starting lineup, um, or I'll tell you mine, and I'm just curious if you're the same. De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes, DeMontis Bonus. Yeah, yeah. That, that's who it's got to be. I don't. I, I just if you want to throw in Monk instead of Herter, that's fine. I think the Kings are planning on bringing Monk off the bench. That's kind of what we've heard, kind of under the waves, if you will, um, and that makes sense to me as well. I think Monk pairs well with Mitchell as a floor spacer and kind of a just a, a scorer. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't. I there's no other version that really makes much sense to me personally. Although I would be starting Keegan at the four and Barnes at the three, but I mean, that's just, you know, semantics at this point. Yeah. I I'm with you. I, I don't think either one is really a three and I'm just hopeful that maybe Keegan can move his feet better than, than how much I think he can. Um, Kent Bazemore is, if we're talking about threes, I guess a three um, he's six, four and 33 years old. The Kings just signed him. And uh, no guarantee he'll be on the roster at the beginning uh, at the beginning of the regular season. Right now, they have 20 people in their training camp, including the two two way players, and that will have to be cut down to 15 plus the two ways. Um, so three of the players currently on this roster will have to be cut, and who knows if any moves will be made. Uh, so no guarantees that Kent Bazemore is around. But I thought that he was decent energy during his last time with the Kings, which was 1920. He only played 25 games. I think he was traded for Trevor Ariza from Portland, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and I think that he's decent energy. Um, I knew that his defense had taken a step back, but I think as I looked into the clips last year, it was even worse than I expected. Um, also hard to gauge on that Lakers team, just the level of engagement from everyone in my mind. But when you see the Kings bringing on Baysmore, what's your initial thoughts? It's okay, Def. Um, if he plays more than like 250 minutes next year, I think something probably went wrong. He got benched pretty hard by the Lakers. Like he played, I, I looked it up the other day and I don't have the stats in front of me, but he played like the first, like 18 of the first 19 games and then was benched like 35 of the next 50. And again, I'm, I'm making these numbers up, but it was something along those lines. Like he, they just took him out of the rotation and it's not like the Lakers 
had an abundance of talent that last year of like, hey, we have so many rotational guys that sorry, Kent Bazemore, you can't play. Like it, it was more like aren't fulfilling the needs that we have. And and I think part of that was fit. Um in that the Lakers really needed shooting and offense and Bazemore couldn't shoot last year. He really struggled from the field. I think he shot really poorly from the field last year. Three point was a little bit better. So all that to say, I think it's a solid signing. 32% from the field is ridiculous. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. I, I I think, like, your point of, you know, his fit with the Lakers and, like, him not working for shooting purposes, at least primarily in my mind, is the reason. I think you're just going to run into the same issue with the Kings. Like, I, I think he fits pretty much all the same things that I feel like we talked about with Della Vadova. Like, culturally, could he be a good cog in the system and, and help create and maintain a good culture sure um can he play minutes here and there like i, I think you pointed out like the idea of say De'Aaron's not locked in on defense all right we're gonna go with Della Vadova since you don't want to go full out effort like i think that you could do the same thing and i'd feel even more comfortable with Bazemore getting minutes here and there than i would somebody like Della Vadova but i think again it's just like to kind of prove a point and somebody you could go to the way that Iguodala was used on the Warriors last year. Like, I don't think he's a positive player right now, but it's like, hey, this guy's going to go in there and just do what he's supposed to do and kind of hope everybody else falls in line or maybe to prove a point to somebody else. Like, if he's getting real minutes, uh, like I think you mentioned like 250 total, like less than that definitely has to be. I, I agree with you. If he's getting real minutes, the Kings are in a ship position. But like, I, I think this is fine for sort of, third string small forward and then i guess sam merrill falls into this same category as well somebody that uh rich and i definitely agreed on disagreed on a lot at the time of the draft he ended up going 60th in that 2020 draft he played two years with uh namias Keita actually at utah state and sam merrill I, I guess is somebody that can really shoot the ball and has potential to create for himself but he, he's even hopping around g league teams last year um, any strong thoughts on Sam Merrill, Tim? My strong thoughts on Sam Merrill is that he's a G League player. I, I think the Kings will send him to Stockton if he wants to go. Um, and that's fine. You know, uh, you, you hear about these signings, and of course, they're typically agent friendly. You know, it's like, oh, he got two years from the Kings, and it's like, he got 150 grand from the Kings. Like, there's there's a significant, and that's every that's every announcement for every team. Um if if Sarah Ma- if Sam Merrill makes the team, I will be floored. Um, I don't think there's there's any possibility of him making the team for sure. Yeah, if I'm like looking at the twenty and cutting it down to seventeen, I think Sam Merrill's the first name that I'm taking off right of that thing. list. Yeah, yeah. And then one of the point guards, and yep. then honestly, I think I go Chima Moneki. Yeah, same. I, I, I don't love Moneki. I'm not impressed. I've I, you've watched more tape than I have. I know that, but the tape I've seen and the stats I've looked at, and he's twenty. I think he's twenty. He's about to be twenty-seven. Um, none of that speaks to like anything I want a part of. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just when they announced his signing, I was like, "Who is this guy?" And then I looked him up, and I was like, "Who is this guy again?" <laughs> And yeah. obviously he's a talented basketball player in the, in the perspective of the world. Right. But from an NBA player perspective, I have no interest in investing anything um, 
in his career. Except G League. Go to the G League if you want. That's fine. Um, sign you to an Exhibit 10 or whatever, and you can go play there and develop over there. But yeah, no, not not any interest. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's where I'm at too. And obviously the, the Nigerian national team connection is interesting. And yeah, I don't, I don't quite know what to make of that or to think if there's any sort of significance there. Like I, I think it's just people that the coaching staff already is very familiar with and knows what they're getting in my mind rather than like, a, Oh man, this is somebody that we really need to bring in. I'm telling you people are sleeping on him, blah, blah, blah. Like I think it's just more of familiarity. There's a potential he could crack into the rotation um, or into the, uh, the roster, but I doubt it. Same as kind of what you were saying there. Um, I don't know that I have anything else for you, Tim. How how you feeling about uh, just general roster construction at this point and, and the balance or lack of, if you feel like, is more appropriate? Um, yeah, the only thing, other thing, other thing I was going to say is Casey Agpala. Um, I think he's, I'm fine if he makes the team, and I'm fine if he doesn't. I, is he the only one that doesn't have a Kings connection, like a legit? I feel like every other guy they brought in has either a Mike Brown connection or a player connection. Akpala has uh, the Nigerian team. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. what. That's what. Oh no, I'm sorry. Sam Merrill was who I was thinking of. Doesn't have any connections. I guess he played with Kata, but yeah, from a yeah, I think outside of that, there isn't yeah. any. Um, maybe, anyway, maybe you know, like Monty and Wes liked him at the time of the draft or something, yeah, and that's something just random. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So roster construction. This is the most talented King, Kings team that has been assembled in 16 years. So that that is good news. Like if if you want to look at this team and be like, what is there to be like really positive about? That's what I'm most positive about. Um, balance wise, they added a lot of shooting, and they have shooting. They have shooters. Herder, Monk, Barnes, Murray. They have four legit shooters who are all I expect to shoot 40 ish percent or better from deep. And none of them are buddy heels. You know, none of them are selfish. Um, gonna jack up threes whenever I want. Guys, these are within the I, monk maybe trends a little bit towards, you know, a little bit of a uh, a gunslinger, but even him, he's not a, n- close to that um volume or or player perspective. So they added a lot of shooting. They didn't add any defense at all. And if you bring up Matthew Delavadova when I say that, not you personally, but just to the general public sphere, then um, we have other discussions to have. So that's my biggest concern. We have one positive defender in the rotation, according to me, which is Davion Mitchell. And he is a great defender. Great. He is going to be... Davion Mitchell is a much better defender than I expected. And I will fully admit that I was wrong on his... He was the fifth best pick and roll defender in the NBA last year. Fifth best. Like that's he that's insane for a rookie. Like he his his opponents and I, I, I'm pretty sure I have this memorized from earlier, his opponents uh scored thirty six percent of the time in pick and roll and sh- and scored zero point seven eight points per possession. Like he just wrecked everyone in pick and roll. But other rookie. than as a rookie, like I don't care how old he is, like Rookies step onto the floor and are an immediate defensive sieve. Even defensive-minded rookies are defensive sieves when they step onto the floor. And David Mitchell shut everyone down, or most of everyone. Um, anyway, but other than Mitchell, like people are like, well, Kevin Herter. I'm like, Kevin Herter is a solid team defender. 
Malik Monk is not a good defender. I don't care how people want to twist stats. He's not a good defender. I'm with you. Uh, you know, obviously Fox is a terrible defender. Barnes was terrible last year. Holmes is okay. Sabonis holds his own, but can't protect the rim. So he's kind of like, he kind of bounces back and forth for me. I think he can, he can body up and rebound, which are two important aspects of center defense, but he just can't, he can't help weak side help. Uh, Keegan Murray's a rookie. I don't think he's going to do much defensively and you just kind of go down the line and it's, that's my biggest concern. And if, if the hope is, well, Mike Brown will take all of these bad to okay defenders and, and create a defensive system that, you know, links these guys together. It's possible. Like he did, you know, the Warriors did that last year. Like Steph Curry is not a good defender. He's Steph Curry is not a bad defender. I think Steph Curry gets a little underrated for his defense. He tries hard for the most part, um, but they created that link, um, you know, that, that linked defense that was effective. Um, I just, that that's my biggest concern with the team. It's not depth. I think they have a lot of depth. They have two guys that can play at each position and play, you know, this is not a, um, oh man, I hope Jason Thompson can start this year. Or, you know, this is not a, um, hopefully Trevor Reza has one gallon left in the tank to push it. Or who's this James Anderson guy? Maybe he'll be good. Or, you know, one of those situations. This is, they have, they have 10 legit NBA players, I think. I don't know if any of them but one play defense. So that's where I'm sitting. Like, I feel good about the talent level and the depth. I don't necessarily feel good about the two-way aspect of these guys. Um, and I don't necessarily believe that Mike Brown can solve that problem in and of himself. So where, where do you fall on the roster? No, I'm the same as you. I, I think the two biggest improvements to me, for sure, shooting. And I think the other one is just basketball IQ. And I think this is another point where it's like it was a pretty low starting bar. I, I think that there's like, you know, average basketball IQs like passable in the NBA. There's people with very clearly good basketball IQs and there's people that fall into very bad basketball IQs. And uh, I think the Kings had a couple too many that I think were pretty low basketball IQ players. And I think that's frustrating and kind of has an, a, a larger effect on the rest of the team's mentality and kind of cam- camaraderie and, and things like, and trust. I, I think trusting in, in teammates is really big on both ends of the floor. And I, I think when it comes to the defense, obviously a big concern. Like I, I think you mentioned like 22, 23 sort of range for defensive rating. Like I, that sounds about right to me. And that's like on the more optimistic side. Um, but they have to be passable on defense because no team that's shit on defense is, is making it into the play-in except for, I think it was the Hawks were the only one last year and they're a ridiculous offense. Um, so I think it's unsustainable to expect the Kings to be like an elite offense either. I think they need to be a really, really good offense and a not crappy defense. Um, and, and I think on the defensive end, the two people that stand out to me are Fox and Barnes because those guys have been bad specifically last year. Um, but we've seen moments of them being good. Like those are the two guys that I look at and I'm like, I think they were bad because they didn't really give a shit rather than they're just not going to be they they're not capable of being like good defenders those are the two like x factors in my mind on defense that i'm curious to see because i feel like they could have a lot of growth compared to what we've seen last year i think barnes has shown himself to be a good defender in the past i wouldn't even say good like he's a solid team defender he's never been a stopper i've never seen that from fox I just being honest, like, yeah, we see possessions where we're like, oh man, Fox shut down 
whoever, right? For for three possessions in a row for the fourth quarter, Fox just like locked that guy down. And, and what what I hear a lot is Fox has all the tools to be a good defender. That makes it worse for me. It really does. Like that's Buddy Heel doesn't. Buddy Heel doesn't have the tools to be a good defender. So he's not. Darren Fox has the tools to be a good defender. And he's one of the worst point guard defenders in the NBA. Like statistically, you watch him, he dies on screens, he doesn't hustle. And I, I I empathize that the Kings have been terrible for his entire career. He's had mostly shit coaches for his entire career. No one has held them accountable for most of his entire career. So I get it. I get it. Like if you work at a job and your boss never like corrects you on anything, yeah, your your production's gonna fall apart. And then if it just never gets corrected, you're like, oh, I can just like chill all day. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. And you're like, okay, right. sweet. And you're gonna pay me thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, I am. Okay, sweet. I'll just score. But if if and this is a big if for me and is a point of contention with me and a lot of other people, if Deer and Fox is a cornerstone player, you can't. You can't do that. I don't want him to be Davion Mitchell on defense. I don't. He can't. Like, he has too much of an offensive load. Like, I get that. Like, try a little sometimes. That's all I'm asking for. So that's that's my concern. Like, um, it can happen. I hope it happens. But it hasn't for five years. He wasn't good as a rookie. Or, and then we're like, oh, he's just a rookie. And then he wasn't good as a sophomore. And we're like, well, he's still developing. And then it's a junior and then senior and then fifth year. Now he's got his max contract. Still terrible and, and getting worse. I think that's the thing that like really depresses me is like, if you look at his defensive stats, it's like rookie year was his best year every all around. And it just has tanked, 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 tanked. Um, Barnes is a different level of disappointment for me. I think Fox, I can... I can empathize and be like, all right, I get it. Barnes is like, weren't you supposed to be the veteran dude? Like, didn't the Kings bring you in as that guy? Yeah, that was the weird one. And just, he was statistically like the Kings got wrecked anytime he stepped on the floor last year defensively. Like just, it was, I think the worst in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken, or at least bottom five, like there's a lot more capability there than that. And we paid you, Right. We like locked you in as, as one of our guys. We traded for you, brought you in as the veteran. You said you were going to be the veteran. Nothing. So I, I do agree with you that the, the capabilities are there for both guys. So if you if if I can look at it from a positive standpoint, I can say, hey, listen, both these guys have the tools to be. I think Harrison Barnes has the tools to be a fine team defender. He's never going to be a stopper. He's not that dude. And that's OK. Darren Fox has the tools to be a solid point guard defender. That's all I need from him. I just haven't seen it in a long ever for Darren Fox in a long time for Harrison Barnes. So those are the keys. You know, we, we've said this a lot in the Kings Herald Slack as we've talked over the last few months. In all honesty, Darren Fox is the key to the Kings' success next season. Every everything is aligned. The Kings have done nothing over the last five years. Sometimes failing and so, but doing nothing but building for Darren Fox. So like. Now we've got you, your all-star. We've got you, your shooters. We've got you, your you know your highly respected, defensive-minded coach. It, the the table is set. Get to Eaton or yeah, or don't, and then we know who we have. So yeah, defensively, Barnes and Fox are the key. Or we can start with Sean Holmes and make it even worse. That's the other. <laughs> so, thanks, Brian. Right. I, I think that with Fox, 
that you have great points. We haven't seen it. I, I think that I admittedly am holding on to those couple possessions a game. Like I keep coming back to the close game that they had against Miami at golden one last year. And Fox was guarding Jimmy at the end of that game. Um, there's he asked to guard Brandon Ingram in new Orleans last year. And it's always like these bigger matchups that he, that he kind of steps up for. Right. And, but we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it consistently. Um, and with him and HB, it's not me expecting them to be good, but I think those are the two that have like the widest variety of outcomes in my mind. So I think that that's going to be a big X factor in how this defense goes, because like you're saying, the tools are there for De'Aaron and, and this feels like a make or break it year in my, at least for my own opinion of like De'Aaron's defense, like, a, because how much longer, like you're saying, can we sit and say like, Oh, well the idea is there. Like, you know, I think he can be a good defender. Like, when Devin Booker got his guys there, he turned it on and, and became an okay defender. Like he doesn't need to be a great defender. Like you said, he doesn't need to be a Davion. He seems to not be a liability on defense is really all it is. Um, and I, I think that he can do that, but it's still kind of TBD. And uh, we'll have to see how that goes. HB, I'm a little worried that like, at least on ball, that he could be like, really have lost a step at this point. But it's hard to gauge because like, his effort levels are weird to read, right? Because he's not exactly the most twitchy like guy out there. So I think high effort levels for him don't look like he's moving at crazy speeds or anything. So it's a little bit difficult to gauge, but I do have some questions that I'm going to be monitoring specifically at the beginning of the year. If like maybe HB's just lost a step, but I do think last year had a lot to do with effort and it'll be interesting to see how, how it goes. And in this, um, competition that they have going into training camp is also a good thing here you know we kind of spent some time talking about the roster battles and who's going to make it at the end of it but i think the training camp itself and having that competition among each other and a good group of of 20 guys who you know probably have 17 14 15 nba players on this roster like i i think that that's pretty promising and should make for an intriguing uh training camp but that is all i have for you tim do you have any uh final things to touch on before we get out of here keegan murray will win rookie of the year that's my final yeah. thought i'm, I'm locked in or what i don't know how to bet i don't know how to play the lottery i don't know how to do any of that stuff so people are like <laughs> oh he has plus 100 odds to, i'm like i don't know what any of that means and then yeah. like when the mega millions was like at 1.05 billion dollars whatever it was i was like i should play that but i don't know how so i didn't and i didn't win because i didn't play so all that to say, yeah. Keegan Murray, I think, is going to be the best rookie next year. There you go. I hope you're right. I also don't know anything about the odd numbers and things like that. Like, I had somebody asked me on a pod one time, like, oh, if the odds were at, you know, I, I can't even pretend to make up a number because I don't exactly negative whatever. Like, how, how would you feel? I'm like, I don't, I'd feel the same as I felt right before you asked me that question. I have yeah, no I, clue what that means. I took algebra two twice in high school. So that's where my numbers come <laughs> from. So I'm, a, I'm an English history guy, hence the writing. There you go. There you go. Well, you can find all of Tim's writing and myself and all the other great guys and gals, all that work at the Kings Herald and definitely take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. Check out Tim, obviously, if you have not already, which I'm sure everybody here has, but just in case at Tim Maxwell 22 on Twitter, right? Sacktown baby giraffe. You got it only. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and hear from me again in the next couple of days.